0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening, where we are set to reflect into uh, the passion. Now, from one week to the next, we have our regular schedule programming, okay? On Mondays and Tuesdays, right now, is the Book of Genesis. On Wednesdays, Father Mike joins me, and we talk about, you know, finding Christ in cinema in the world stage, and you know, looking for those spiritual themes in the movies we watch, and then on Thursday, I respond to your questions, and we've titled Thursday, Special Topic Thursday. Uh, now, why am I going over our weekly schedule? Because we're going to be doing something a little different this evening. I'm going to have to call an audible, because Father Mike uh, was unable to join me, but I do think we can still yet talk about the Passion, while at the same time respond to some of your questions. I am not going to be available to uh, do the program tomorrow, so what I thought I would do is roll two programs into one. Two programs into one, and by that I mean the questions I received from you to talk about on Thursday were questions tied to the Passion, questions that were depicted in the movie The Passion of Christ. So while Father Mike is not with me uh, this evening, I will still look to reflect at least a little bit into what Mel Gibson was doing in The Passion of Christ as I talk about the details of The Passion of Christ. Now, the questions that came to me, the specific questions, were tied to the Garden of Gethsemane and also the scourging, right? So we may or may not get to the crucifixion, but I want to make sure I respond to those two questions, and as I do, once again, uh, talk at least a little bit about what Mel Gibson did with those episodes in the Gospel. Okay, now, before we get into that, I also wanted to talk about what happened uh, over the weekend. I didn't get a chance to talk about it on Monday or Tuesday, but this French policeman by the name of Arnaud Beltrame, who exchanged his life for another. Archbishop Chaput from Philadelphia took the story and reflected with it, and so what I want to do is uh, read to you what Archbishop Chaput from Philadelphia had to say make a few comments, and then kind of from there, talk about uh, the passion. I didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk about Arnaud Beltram. So again, here, this is uh, Archbishop Chaput in his weekly column. These few remaining days before Easter are the most sacred time of every year. I, that is Archbishop Chaput, began writing this column to explain what the word holy in Holy Week means but actions often speak and teach more loudly than words. On Friday, March 23rd, an Islamist gunman in southern France attacked a supermarket. A jihadist loyal to ISIS, he murdered a worker and customer and wounded many others. In the subsequent standoff with police, a lieutenant colonel by the name of Arnaud Beltram exchanged himself for another hostage, a female hostage. Several hours later, The gunman shot Beltrame in the throat and was then cut down himself by police gunfire. Beltrame died early Saturday morning in the hospital, and therein lies a story. Beltrame and his wife Marielle were already civilly married when they toured a local French Augustinian monastery in 2016. While there, they met and befriended a priest. Over the coming two years, the priest, a father Jean-Baptiste, helped Arnaud Amariel through dozens of conversations and many hours of marriage prep to ready themselves for a Catholic wedding. Beltram even walked the Camino Real pilgrim road in Spain with his father, who died only recently. In fact, according to early press reports, the officer attended his father's funeral exactly one week before he himself was fatally shot. On March 24th, the morning of Arnaud's death, Lamond. The newspaper reported that Beltram was known for his courage, intelligence, and commitment to public service. A leader well liked and widely respected for a generous devotion to his troops. This was high and sincere praise, but far from the most important details about his life. For according to the news report from Lamont, the same Father Jean Baptiste who prepared Arnaud and Marielle for their planned sacramental marriage, also administered the sacrament of anointing and prayed with his wife shortly before the officer died. So what Archbishop Chaput wants to capture there is that while Secular News is going to talk about a man who, yes, heroically put himself in in the shoes literally of another, there's a whole other element of maybe what God was doing in this. Uh, In another report, another French priest close to Arnaud Had this to say, and this struck me. It turns out that the lieutenant colonel was a practicing Catholic. The fact is that he did not hide his faith and that he radiated his faith. We can say that his act of offering is consistent with what he believed. He went to the end of his service to the country and to the end of his testimony of faith. To believe is to not only to adhere to a doctrine, it is to first love God and his neighbor and to testify of his faith concretely in everyday life, in the happy or unhappy, even dramatic circumstances of our lives. Now, my friends, I want to go back to what Archbishop Chaput said in the opening of his piece. I began writing this column to explain what the word holy and holy week means, but actions often speak and teach more loudly than words. Pope Benedict XVI once said that the greatest proof for the existence of God is when one man lays his life down for another, right? Arnaud Beltrame laid his life down for another. But as this French priest close to him notes, this was the crowning gift to evidently a life that was well lived in service, a life that was bearing testimony to his faith. So, we're going to continue to hear about arnold beltram in the news and i wanted to open up this evening with just a brief reflection into what he did because i do want us to be mindful of a deeper truth that while we talk about what it means to lay our life down for another this is something that each and every one of us are called to do each and every day uh, we are going to get into the minutia the details of just not the Garden of Gethsemane, but also uh, the scourging at the pillar and, and its effects. What we ought to appreciate is the detail of what is going on there so as to better understand the detailed love that Jesus Christ has for you and I. A love that we are called to model and imitate each and every day, which demands a heroic, heroic surrender, just not in the dramatic circumstances as that Father uh, French priest speaks to, but also in the unseen circumstances of every day. In so many ways, (laughs) to talk about Arnaud Beltram is the perfect prelude to talk about the passion, because in a manner of speaking, by stepping into another person's shoes, entered into, shared with Uh, Jesus Christ in his own uh, suffering and death. So very, very important. All right, what about your questions, your specific questions as they relate to the passion of Christ? What took place in the Garden of Gethsemane? Can you talk about that, Joe? And also the scourging at the pillar. Being true to the questions, I want to make sure we spend our time with those specific questions. Now, what we're going to do by way of resource is draw from one Dr. Frederick zugib. Um, he has really become an authority on the, the psychological and also physical effects of, of what goes on during just not the crucifixion, but also something like the agony in the garden, also the scourging at the pillar. Uh, one Terry McDermott has done some write-ups on this. We are also going to pull from her. So, anyhow, there are many resources out there. What we're going to do is take the information from those resources and just kind of reflect with it, and hopefully get at your question. You know, what what are these episodes about, specific to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Scourging at the Pillar? Now, all that being said, much has been written about the physical and psychological effects of the crucifixion of Jesus, often by uh, surgeons, psychiatrists, and other doctors. And While well-intentioned, the writings have largely been, one can say, inaccurate by forensic standards, of course, and until now have relied on more or less educated speculation and outdated medical and other investigative equipment. The most famous work is the book A Doctor at Calvary, written by one Dr. Pierre Barbet. Uh, His work has been widely quoted and, and generally held to the benchmark study but it was in 1988 when, again, Dr. Frederick Zugeb wrote his first book on the crucifixion, The Cross and the Shroud. Since then, he has conducted more extensive experiments using the latest forensic methods. As you and I both know, there's something seemingly new coming out, if not every day, every week, as he has been researching the agony in the garden, the scourging of the pillar with the latest forensic methods. There's a lot to be had here and I do think that it is worth our while to reflect with it. Now, Dr. Zagib himself, he's an expert in forensic pathology. His interest in the forensic analysis of our Lord's crucifixion began all the way back in 1948, when, as an undergraduate student of biology, he was critical of an article that appeared in the Catholic Medical Guardian titled, The Physical Cause of the Death of Our Lord. That was written by J.R. Whitaker And it really led this, launched, we could say, this lifelong study of the scientific and medical aspects of our Lord's death. So, as it relates to forensic pathology, forensic pathology, as explained by Dr. Zagib, is that science which requires many years of specialized education, training, and experience. The medical specialty that deals with the mechanism and cause of suffering and death due to violence such as crucifixion. The forensic pathologist is a medical sleuth, one could say, an expert in reconstructing whose court testimony must possess a high degree of medical certainty. Indeed, his testimony, Dr. Zagib writes, that is, the testimony of a forensic pathologist may help to free an innocent defendant or release a killer back into the community. So that's Dr. Zagib on his own profession. With that, again, being true to your question, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? What happened at the scourging at the pillar? So, there is a rare condition called hematidrosis, and this is a condition that may occur in cases of extreme anxiety caused by fear. It manifests as sweat that contains blood or blood pigments. Anxiety due to intense fear affects the the autonomic nerve system, if you will. So fear triggers the brain's fear center. We know the reaction as the what? Fight or flight response. We've heard of that. Fight or flight right. This is what has been triggered, huh? Uh, Now the response results in the following profuse sweating, accelerated heart rate, a vasoconstriction of blood vessels, increased blood pressure, Diversion of blood from non-essential areas in order to increase blood perfusion to the brain and and muscles of the arms and legs, and decreased function of the digestive system, which may result, and often does result, according to Dr. Zagib, in vomiting and abdominal cramps. So Jesus's fight-or-flight response, we could say, lasted several hours as he prayed alone, while his apostles slept nearby. He would have been completely exhausted and dehydrated because of his uh, sweating and vomiting. And then, of course, my friends, to talk about the garden, yes, is to talk about him sweating blood, but also what? That he was alone. Yeah, he suffered physically, but what about the fact that he was alone? Yes, he had his father, But not one of the apostles was there to grieve with him, to weep with him, to mourn with him, to be with him. Let's just hit the pause button here and think about something. You know, many of us have had to endure physical suffering. And often that physical suffering, while at times we just want to be alone, is alleviated when someone is with us right? Physical suffering with loneliness often makes the suffering worse. If we miss this point, I think we miss an element of our Lord's agony in the garden, because His agony while being physical was also spiritual. The absence of being embraced, right? And yes, of course, He, he had His Father, but that companionship What did he say to them just hours before in the upper room? For the first time, he called them his friends. And he called them his friends as it was time for them to suffer with him. When we suffer, he wants us to understand that he is our friend, our closest friend. So the agony in the garden is yes, about him sweating blood. And these scientific medical truths that surround this event are illuminating to appreciate his physical suffering. And we never want to downgrade that. But there's something else going on here. You know, earlier I was talking about incorporating the passion into this reflection. And let me tell you something, this was well done. Because you you got a deep sense of our Lord's physical pain. But at the same time, that deep sense that he was enduring something else, that the very ones who he came to, to save were the ones who abandoned him. And here it is, of course, where Mel Gibson brought in this a well-depicted character of Satan and the snake. huh? One thing that cinema does, and, and certainly we have been talking about this over the last three months, is it, it brings to life something that is just difficult to otherwise do. And Mel Gibson definitely brought that episode of Sacred Scripture to life. And I think the one thing to highlight there is that, that deep sense of, of excruciation. Excruciation that he was going through. You know, we know, I've talked about it a great deal, that the word excruciating comes from the Latin word excrucis, which literally translates from the cross. But his cross, that which is excruciating, started in the garden. In the garden. Okay, what about Jesus' scourging? Well, as Dr. Zagib noted, the Roman uh, flagellation or scourging was one of the most feared of all punishments. It was a form of brutal, inhumane punishment generally executed by Roman soldiers using the most dreadful instruments of the time, most notably one called a flag room. Now, in Mosaic law, scourging could not exceed 40 lashes, but often the number of lashes was dependent upon the cruelty of the executioners. So if the executioners did not want the victim to die too quickly, they limited the amount of lashes administered. The number of lashes also depended on the person and their crime. Pilate ordered that Jesus be scourged in an extreme manner in attempt to what? But appease the mob. When they were not satisfied and determined the release of Barabbas, he pronounced this sentence. So once again, we can anticipate that our Lord received more than the normal ration of lashes. Jesus would have been stripped naked and shackled by his wrist to a low calm so that he would be in a bent-over position. One or more soldiers would be assigned to deliver the blows from the, from the flagrum. right? Standing beside the victim, he would strike in an arc-like fashion across the exposed back. And Dr. Zagib here gets into this in great detail the weight of the metal or bone objects at the ends of the leather thongs would carry them to the front of the body as well as to the back and arms, the shoulders, arms and legs down to and including the calves. The bits of metal would dig deep into the flesh, ripping small blood vessels, nerves, muscles, and skin. Uh, And of course, something else that we should note here is that the soldiers would also change the one being scourged, uh, change his position periodically, and deliver blows from the opposite side. And once again, if there is anything that Mel Gibson went to great lengths to depict, it is the scourging at the pillar. I'm going to be honest with you. I, on one or two different occasions, found myself turning away. It was just my human instinct but then our Lord told me to watch, because I needed to watch the reality of what he had to endure. And God bless Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel, of course, as many of us know, who played Jesus Christ. He played Jesus Christ at the age of 33. Jim Caviezel with the, with the initials JC. Jim Caviezel talks about this. He says, gosh, when Mel Gibson asked me, and I was uncertain, he kind of cornered me when he said, hey, you're 33 and your initials are JC. You need to do this. He said, you know what? You're right. You're right. So anyhow, certainly what we see on the screen as it relates to the scourging very much was real, was very real. And I think that's important to to note. Now, obviously, the injuries sustained during scourgings were extensive. Blows to the upper back and rib area caused rib fractures, severe bruising in the lungs, bleeding into the chest cavity and and partial, or even complete punctured wounds to the lung, causing it to collapse. As much as 125 milliliters of blood could be lost. I have posed to you the question before, why didn't Jesus just save the world with a drop of his blood? I mean, if his blood saved us, why could he have not just saved the world with a drop of his blood? Well, my friends, because Jesus tells us and teaches us And reveals to us that with love, enough is never enough until it gives everything. If there are five and a half to six quarts of blood in the human body, then there are five and a half to six quarts of blood to give away. And this is what Jesus did. Back to the scourging. The victim would periodically vomit, experiencing tremors and seizures, and have bouts of of fainting, each excruciating strike eliciting, of course, profound shrieks of pain. The victim would be sweating profusely and exhausted, craving then water because of the loss of fluid from bleeding and this vomiting. The steady loss of fluid would initiate this uh, what's called hypovolemic shock, while a slow steady accumulation of fluid in the injured lungs would make breathing difficult. Fractured ribs would make breathing painful, and the victim would only be able to take short, shallow breaths. Jesus's condition after the scourging was obviously profoundly serious. The the pain and brutality of the torture would have put him in early traumatic or injury shock. For all of that, what about the crowning of thorns? Well, first of all, we should note that the crown was not necessarily a wreath, as typically believed. It was a cap of thorns placed upon our Lord's head. Uh, The pattern of blood flow in the head area on the Shroud of Turin, and subsequent experiments by Dr. Zeeb certainly attest to this. He says that the, the shroud indicates areas of seepage and blood flow running down the forehead. The hair in the frontal image suggests marked saturation with dried blood, causing the hair to remain on both sides of the face. So what about the effects of the crown of thorns? Dr. Zakib writes here, the nerve supply for pain perception to the head region is distributed by branches of two major nerves, the trigeminal nerve, which essentially supplies the, the front half of the head, and the greater occipital branch, which supplies the back half of the head. These two nerves Innervate, we could put it, all areas of the head and, and face. So, the trigeminal nerve is also known as the fifth cranial nerve. It, it runs through the face. It runs through the eye, nose, mouth, and jaws. Irritation of this nerve by the crown of thorns would have caused a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. So, this is a condition that causes severe facial pain that may be triggered by light touch, swallowing, eating, talking, temperature changes and, and even exposure to wind. I was reading about that, incredible. All of this leads to and I think this is so striking because it's not what we typically think of as relate to our Lord's crucifixion. All of this leads to spasmodic episodes that is said to be the worst pain. That anyone can experience. So as the soldiers struck Jesus on his head with reeds, he would have felt excruciating pains across his face and deep into his ears, much like sensations from a a hot poker or or electric shock. These pains would have been felt all the way to Calvary and even while on the cross. And again, certainly Mel Gibson's depiction of the passion captures this pain Profound pain, but I would also say something else. A pain that was driven by love. I was talking earlier about Arnaud Beltram and the detail. Why do we talk about the details of what he had to endure? Because that is how much he loves you and I. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do we love into the details of life? Certainly, Jesus loved into the details of his life, and this is highlighted in the passion. The thorns, my friends, would have cut into the large supply of blood vessels in the head area. Jesus would have bled profusely, contributing to this increasing hypovolemic shock. He would have been growing increasingly weak and lightheaded. As well, he would have had bouts, more bouts with vomiting, shortness of breath and unsteadiness as hypovolemic and dramatic shock intensified. And all of this is before the actual crucifixion, which we have run out of time to talk about. But as you ask me about the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar with the crowning of thorns, these are important questions. Because, yeah, we can talk about the crucifixion, but so much went on before the crucifixion that made the crucifixion all the worse insofar as what he had to endure physically. If you want, if you desire to be moved by what we have been talking about this evening, watch the Passion. I will encourage you to watch the Passion if you haven't watched the Passion. And if you've watched the Passion before and it's something that helps you enter into this Holy Week, then watch it again. But as you do, be mindful. Be mindful that all of this is because he loves you. What does Jesus ask from us? What does Jesus say to us in the gospel? Imitate me. And as you imitate my love in all of the minutiae of everyday life, right? Do it with joy, a joy that is mindful of those in need of, of our gift of time. Do it with a sense of purpose, realizing that We have been given one life, and do it with great faith, great love. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen? And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.